You're listening to the Shoeless Podcast, where we talk candidly about married life and parenting within the domestic church in the light of Carmelite spirituality and the Catholic faith. We're your hosts, Donald and Megan Wallenfang, and we invite you into today's conversation of living Catholic with abandon. Welcome everyone to this episode of the Shoeless Podcast. What a joy it is to ponder together the theme of delight, especially as found in the life of the child and in the writings of St. Augustine of Hippo. Delight is something very important that lifts us ecstatically above the temptations of forlornness, isolation, sadness, apathy, and despair. It feels unfortunate that we human beings can despair about life when there is so much for us to delight in. We might wonder about what would grant us the supreme delight in this life. So let us consider this vital question. Why delight? I think first this question of delight begins with a paradox that we find in scripture, Psalm 37 verse 4, where we read, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. What I think the paradox is in this verse is as if delighting in the Lord would grant us access to all these other things besides the Lord, the desires of our heart. Mm. But St. Augustine says in his Confessions, one of the opening lines, You rouse us to delight in praising you. O Lord, or you excite us to delight in praising you. Also, St. Ignatius of Loyola in his spiritual exercises, the very foundation and principle of the exercises is that human beings were created to praise, reverence, and serve God our Lord. Mm -hmm. And this is the famous concept of St. Augustine. You have created us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless or disquieted Mm -hmm. until they rest in you. So the paradox of the Psalm 37, our delight is to be found in the Lord Mm -hmm. alone. And the desires of our heart really are all oriented toward God, the Most Holy Trinity, not all these other things. Mm -hmm. So when we delight in the Lord... We're granted all the desires of our heart because we're delighting in the Lord. Mm -hmm. It's not that God is a means to some other end that is less than God. Mm -hmm. I was recently reading from the prophet Isaiah, um, chapter 58, and it said, If you call the Sabbath a delight, the Lord's holy day glorious, if you glorify it not by following your ways, seeking your own interests, or pursuing your own affairs, then you shall delight in the Lord. Hmm. I think this is so interesting comparing it to Psalm 37. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And this saying, if you glorify the Sabbath by not following your ways, seeking your own interests or pursuing your own affairs, then you shall delight in the Lord. So this is to say that delight cannot happen when we do what we desire. That delight can happen when we put aside our agenda. It happens in encountering the unexpected, 
Delight is a surprise. Delight requires us to move slowly, and it happens when we're living at a pace that allows God to work the miracle, not us. I really love that scripture from Isaiah about delighting in the Lord, delighting in the Sabbath itself, refraining from concentrating on all of one's own plans and affairs and commercial transactions and everything else, this genuine rest from our labors Mm -hmm. in order to enter into God's rest. Mm -hmm. But delighting in the Sabbath itself, Mm -hmm. where all of these common daily affairs are suspended. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that's the misunderstanding is that, so can we only delight on the Sabbath then? And are we lost in all the daily affairs of the rest of the week without delight? And I think that's where we have to realize that when we're living at this pace where God is working the miracle and we're living at a pace where our agenda is set aside, even in the daily activities of life, This is where we can encounter delight because we find surprise. We find the unexpected. And this is what's necessary for us to live in this state of delight. We might wonder what the relationship is between delight and pleasure and enjoyment. Mm -hmm. Those are good questions. Yeah, are they all the same thing? Or are there subtle distinctions between them? If we go back to St. Augustine, he makes some very important distinctions in talking about these very terms. The first big distinction he makes in his work called De Doctrina Christiana, or on Christian doctrine, is the distinction between reality and signs. And the Latin words are res, reality, where we get the English word reality or real, res, Mm -hmm. and signs or signa. And St. Augustine ultimately argues that there's only one res, and it is God. There's mm-hmm. only one reality, one really real kind of being, being itself, not just a being like us creatures, but being itself, reality itself upon which our being is based and totally depends. And this distinction is very important so we don't fall into idolatry because if we regard the sign as the real when it's only a sign that points to the real, that is idolatry itself. Another distinction St. Augustine makes is between enjoyment and use. This Latin term for enjoyment, fruitio. We hear the word fruit in there too, to enjoy the fruits of one's labors, the fruits of one's meaningful work, the fruits of God's creation. Again, St. Augustine says, yet there's only one thing, one res we really ought to enjoy, And that is God alone. Mm -hmm. Everything else in the order of creation is meant to be used. And this is careful language in in the ancient Latin here. It's not utilitarianism. But again, regarding everything in the order of creation is not to be enjoyed for its own sake, but always in reference to the res that Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. God. So these distinctions are really important. And French philosopher Vincent Giraud, in his 2014 article in L'Etude Philosophique, entitled Delectatio Interior, which is a Latin phrase St. Augustine uses also, this is where we have delight, interior delight, delectatio interior. 
So we have a term for enjoyment and a term for delight, a subtle difference here. And in this article here, Giraud also, also talks about pleasure. And to quote just a little bit, just even from the abstract of this article, Giraud writes that for Augustine, the experience of pleasure, delight, or enjoyment is inherent, that is natural to, the life of the thinking mind and becomes a mark of the soul's fundamental orientation to the God in whom it delights. Again, for a lot of these ancient philosophers, the mind, the thinking mind, the intellect itself is ordered to this delight. Because the soul endowed with reason must choose between an orientation to earthly goods or to heavenly ones, generally speaking. One or the others, Jesus says you cannot serve both God and mammon. And that choice is made in the sphere of enjoyment, fruitio. Mm. Enjoyment should be of God and of the neighbor in God. It is a participation in the highest good, which is God. But God is truth. So to enjoy God is not a matter of blind affection, but of a rational delighting in truth. And that there's a danger that threatens anyone who becomes passionately absorbed in the pursuit of knowledge, namely that of losing sight of the goal and slipping into curiosity. So in St. Augustine, there's a distinction between studiositas and curiositas. Studiousness and curiosity are two different things. It requires ultimately a conversion of the intelligence accomplished as a transcendence of self until one reaches the divine realm located in that interior intimo meo, more interior than my inward self. And it is in that inner place that the highest delectatio or delight is tasted. So that's a lot of reflection there about St. Augustine and how he parses out pleasure, enjoyment, delight, some overlap of the terms, but delight itself is an interior phenomenon in that interior castle of the soul that St. Teresa of Avila talks about, but it's caused by God alone that lights up this delight in the inward recesses of the soul. Mm-hmm. I liked what you said with this quote that delight becomes a mark of the soul's fundamental orientation. It reminds me of the book that one of the books that Dorothy Day wrote called The Duty of Delight. Yeah. She points out the importance of living delight, the necessity of it. And she would agree with this comment that it's the soul's fundamental orientation and that there is so much to delight in. And she found this delight among really hard situations. She lived among people suffering greatly, people who were outcast on the margins. And yet she found delight and she saw delight in the people that she spent time with, mm-hmm. among the people that she worked with and served and called friends. And when we are able to orient our soul towards delight, this is when we can lift ourselves from places of sadness or apathy or forlornness. Yeah, for sure. And Dorothy Day's collaborator, we think of Peter Morin, and both of them together was what they were doing in the urban centers mm-hmm. with people, but also what they were doing 
living close to the land mm-hmm. and and kind of farming small farming communities too they knew how to delight in god's creation whether mm-hmm. it was in the country or in the city as she relates in her autobiography the long loneliness mm-hmm. and it's a paradox there too that she may entitle it the long loneliness but at the same time she wasn't alone is what she discovered mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. along the way that god was with her god was her company and as you mentioned all the people she's meeting she's serving she's being enriched by mm-hmm. are her company mm-hmm. so that complementarity between solitude and community or sociality is really important in christian discipleship and finding our delight in both territories mm-hmm. In contemplation and in missionary outreach. Mm-hmm. When we think of who exemplifies the duty of delight, who exemplifies living this out, I can't help but think of children and mm-hmm. so many memories that I have of our children that everything to them is unexpected and a surprise, as we were talking about earlier. So every encounter that the young child has is something new, something brand new. So whereas we walk over our yard all the time and our grass and we see it as a problem because we have to mow it weekly and we, we don't delight in it much at all, a child has great fascination and delight in, in touching the grass and in feeling the grass. This is something brand new to them, the youngest child who has bare feet outside and you know, sometimes they don't even want to put their foot down because they it mm-hmm. tickles, it surprises them. They don't know what this is that they're feeling, but they're delighting in it. They have so much joy and they smile and laugh. We can learn so much from how the child delights. And I think phenomenology gives us a real good lens, a real good method to know how to approach delight in our everyday lives as adults too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love what you're saying about children. We could say masters of delight, Mm -hmm. disciples of delight. And this is a real contrast, a juxtaposition here between St. Augustine, which sounds like a real intellectualization Mm -hmm. of delight, coming out of this theology of adulthood. I Mm -hmm. may position Mm -hmm. him that way. But then this theology of childhood at the same time, which is equally powerful, equally necessary to think Mm -hmm. about and how the child delights through the way they perceive the world as a whole Mm -hmm. and that their perception operates as a whole. And to use some phenomenological language, how their natural attitude has not really developed, which is Mm -hmm. a good thing Mm -hmm. for delight because there's not all these obstacles and barriers in the way Mm -hmm. of their natural delight Mm -hmm. in the world that gives itself to Mm -hmm. them constantly. Mm -hmm. Right, and so phenomenology gives us this tool, this philosophical approach of phenomenology gives us a tool for adults to understand the mind of the child in a way. As adults, we've had all of these experiences in life, some very good and wonderful, some very hard, challenging, and have really shaped our attitudes toward things and the way we want to respond to things or react to things. But phenomenology gives us the ability to recognize within ourselves that we have this natural attitude. 
And that if we're able to, what phenomenology would say is to bracket the natural attitude, to suspend it, to suspend judgment when we approach something like the grass, it allows us to approach the grass as if we've never seen it before, Mm -hmm. as if we can wonder, what is this on the ground? What is this green, beautiful plant growing from the ground? What is this soft feeling? What is this sometimes pokey feeling? Mm -hmm. What is this smell I'm smelling from this plant on the ground? So it allows us this ability to delight by bracketing our natural attitude instead of seeing the grass as another chore that we have to do during our day. Instead, it's something we can delight in along with the child and wonder about this gift of grass and how beautiful it is. So it's suspending judgment and bracketing this attitude. I think this takes us as adults right into the place of delight of a place where children live from so well. Exactly. The natural attitude needs to be bracketed because by the natural attitude is meant this reductionism Mm -hmm. of the whole Mm -hmm. of what gives itself and it's a reductionism as we're using the example of the grass it's just grass Mm -hmm. it needs to be cut Mm -hmm. it's better if it didn't exist or something like this Mm -hmm. when instead when we bracket the natural attitude and adopt the worldview of the child everything is lighting up Mm -hmm. everything is is giving itself brand new and full of possibility Mm -hmm. so it's necessary to maintain delight and promote more delight in our lives we must renounce the renunciation of possibility Mm. we must renounce the temptation of reductionism Mm -hmm. we have to renounce this natural attitude that wants to reduce everything to something to use to something that threatens my existence that every encounter with otherness somehow is a competitor Mm -hmm. and delight doesn't look at the world this way Mm -hmm. even an athletic contest Mm -hmm. isn't just about winning and losing right it's about every moment Mm -hmm. is interesting right because it's all a surprise it's unexpected you don't know in the end who's gonna win we may have an idea we may based on our experience and our natural attitude we may think that the number one seed is going to be the 10th ranked team. But the beauty of reality of life is that there can be an upset. There can be a surprise. There can be the unexpected. And what a delight it is when that happens. Yeah, delight lifts us out of this place that, you know, is spoken of in Ecclesiastes that there's nothing new under the sun. Mm-hmm. And it gives us an opportunity to find all that is new every day and to find that everything is new. And nothing is the same. And there's always new and beautiful to find and to delight in. Always. Mm -hmm. Always. And the child reminds us of that. Mm -hmm. St. Augustine reminds us of that. And that ultimately this delight is something in the heart of our being. Delectatio interior. Interior delight. Mm -hmm. A kind of delight that goes further than plain enjoyment or pleasure though these are part of it it's a delight that moves in ecstasy to our maker Mm -hmm. so perhaps we could close with a prayer 
Quoting from St. Augustine's Confessions, Book 1, a very beautiful prayer and one where we find the word delight appearing in it again with some irony as St. Augustine looks back on his life and laments some things that he used to think he delighted in, but in the end delights in the Lord alone. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hear, Lord, my prayer. Let not my soul faint under thy discipline, nor let me faint in confessing unto thee all thy mercies, whereby thou hast drawn me out of all my most evil ways, that thou mightest become a delight to me above all the allurements which I once pursued that I may most entirely love thee and clasp thy hand with all my affections, and thou mayest yet rescue me from every temptation, even unto the end. For lo, O Lord, my King and my God, for thy service be whatever useful thing my childhood learned. For thy service that I speak, write, read, reckon. For thou didst grant me thy discipline, while I was learning vanities, and my sin of delighting in those vanities, thou hast forgiven. In them, indeed, I learnt many a useful word, but these may as well be learned in things not vain, and that is the safe path for the steps of youth. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. St. Augustine, pray for us. the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Shoeless Podcast. We hope you continue the conversation in your own home and with the people you love. We hope it challenges and inspires you to walk shoeless in the world and to live Catholic with abandon.